Hi, I'm Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck podcast. I've created this podcast because I want to explore how the mystical touches us in our everyday lives, how the sacred and profane move together like two sides of the same coin. I found that in modern spirituality, we often separate the sacred and the profane. We look at certain things as being holy and good and others as being bad. And I've actually found that the most magical part of life is finding the divinity, the healing, and the transformation in all of it. In this podcast, you can expect to hear stories from people on all sorts of walks of life. You'll hear from a doctor, a sex worker, a poet, a motivational speaker, an activist, a mother, a birth doula, and all sorts of other people who are walking on an embodied path of healing and transformation as a soul awakening this lifetime. Each one of our guests will be sharing their mystical and numinous and spiritual awakenings, how the sacred has touched their lives and the profane too, how they have explored life through sex, drugs, birthing, meditation, prayer, experiencing death and life, and all sorts of different elements that God, Goddess Divine, speaks to us through. If you found that you're also a rebel mystic who doesn't just fit into the simple ideas of good and bad, of spirituality, but sees the nuance that life has to offer us, then I hope you find a home with me here in this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. So for today's episode, I speak to the fabulous Milana Snow. I met Milana back in New York years ago, was able to collaborate with her, was inspired by her spirit, her joy, her big smile. And today on the podcast, I realize we have way more in common than I thought. We go really deep about our dad wounds, healing around men, receiving love, and just a lot of juicy stuff. It was really, really good to talk to her, and we're definitely going to follow up with a tea so we can go deeper. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let us know what stood out, and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I am here today with the lovely Milana Snow. Welcome, Milana. So good to have you with us. Oh, so good to be here with you. Mm. Okay. So we met a few years back and um, I know a lot has changed in your life since then. So I'd love to just hear an update and just so you can introduce yourself to our audience of like, who are you? What are you all about? What's inspiring you these days? Tell us. Uh, yes, it's been a while. I've known you for years and I feel like our lives have changed and stayed the same in a lot of weird ways over the years. Um, I think, you know, the way I kind of describe myself now is I am still working as a healer, just have taken on many different forms of how I express that. And for now, um, as a healer, I facilitate breath work energy healing. And I also teach my own approach to both of those things in a forum called integrative energy healing, teaching people how to kind of find the healer within them so they can then use those unique gifts to share with others. Um, I'm also an entrepreneur and I really love making things and creating things and collaborating with people to find new ways to bring more healing and happiness and connection to as many people as possible. So that's kind of at least my work. Um, I live with my amazing boyfriend and our dog, 
in Silver Lake. And I've been in New York for, well, excuse me, I moved here from New York um, and I've been in LA for six years now, which is wild. That's kind of the same timeline as as me about. Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that, that move. And um, yeah, I, I actually didn't know the extent of your background until I was reading your bio. And I was like, wait, Afro-Latin, Panamanian, like, tell me about that because I didn't, I, I didn't know all that. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've been, I've been like putting that forward a little bit more because I come from an extremely diverse background. And on my, so for example, on my mom's side, my mom is white American and her family comes from Oklahoma and they were the white settlers who took over the land in the panhandle of Oklahoma and still have that farmland wow. and oil and gas. Land to this day. Um, and I was the first person of color in the family. Oh. On my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, he's Afro Latino and Caribbean. So his dad was from the islands from Barbados and his mom is um, part Chinese uh, Afro-Latino and Spanish speaking, all from Panama. Wow. And my father was born in Panama. So I'm actually first generation American on my dad's side. Ah. So it's a fusion of many things. Um, my, my mom's dad is even, my mom's father, my grandfather was born in London. So we also have a lot of interesting like European yeah. roots as well. So yeah, it's a fusion of many stories, many timelines, many types of yeah. ancestries that you wouldn't find usually. Especially in, in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would like that's a whole nother podcast episode of just like how your parents met because I also, you know, my father's Brazilian and I'm first generation American from our family, like after I him. Know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I, I mean, I don't know, you wouldn't have heard me speak Portuguese, but I speak Portuguese fluently and I was raised, you know, between Miami, Georgia and Brazil. And um, unfortunately, I don't look Brazilian-ish at all. Like, <laughs> Oh, no, I would have never guessed. Yeah, but my dad. That's amazing. Yeah, my dad moved to the U.S. when he was 18, um, and he was born in 1941. So it was like just such a, you know, an intense time to I think just like pop over um, to the United States. But uh, yeah, you know, those Latin men. What can we say, no. mom? And yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, mom, mom got out of that real quick, but my dad mom's too. Still operator, dad's still a smooth operator. My dad is too. He's turning 80 next week and he, what? yeah, he still tells me all about like, he's been married and divorced like four or five times. I can't keep track. And my dad too. Really? <laughs> okay. So let me, this is digressing and everybody holds tight, you know, but we've got to have a little bit of love, drama, sex kind of coming in here at the top, but we'll get to the mysticism in a second. But so because you grew up with this, you know, Casanova Latin Panamanian. I actually from- didn't grow up with him. I didn't know him until I was like 25, but oh it's my- in my blood though. It's in your it's definitely in my blood. <laughs> so were you unconsciously drawn towards that type of lover when you were younger? Um, well, my dad is, he's a very domineering, very dominant person. Yeah. And we'll, we'll leave it at that yeah. okay. <laughs> with yeah. respect to him, yeah. but he's a very strong person. He considers himself the king of every 
situation he goes into. Literally, he says that. And so I was not raised knowing him. I didn't know him until I was 25. Wow. And I grew up in a family that was, although my mom remarried a black American man, we grew up in a very Midwestern, like white American culture. And I was the black sheep. I was very loud. I was very, like, very uninterested in just staying in America. I wanted to travel, not knowing that I was Canadian, by the way wanted to like, I, I had a very hard time like working for other people. I had a very hard time being told what to do. That was a problem for a long time. And then when I met my dad at 25, I realized, my God, this is in my blood. And then when it came to lovers and, and relationships, it, not always in the healthiest way, but to some degree in a, in a really beneficial way as a young woman living in New York, I always made sure that I came first. I was always my first priority in relationships very young. So I always had kind of the, as long as I'm good, we're good kind of thing, which was very much my dad's thing, wow. um, which needed to change when it was time for like an actual real partnership. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Okay. Can, can I, can I go a little bit deeper here? Cause this is one of my favorite things to talk about in the world. Yes. And, um, because having a similar, somewhat similar background in a way, but so when you are like, okay, something needs to change and, and something needs to change in the way that I'm relating to partners or men, like, what was that a conscious step in your healing journey where you were like, Oh, like, was there an aha there? 100%. Like I just got chills thinking about that question. I mean, absolutely. I think for me, you know, when I was living in New York, I was modeling, I was acting, I had a spiritual practice and I was deeply spiritual, but it was closeted. I didn't let anybody know how spiritual my life actually was, but I was like in the clubs, I was club queen, I was modeling, I was acting, traveling, you know, it, it was a wild experience, but a lot of it was also like very guided. And when I realized that like turning point specifically around relationships and intimacy was that I was having a very lavish life as a young woman, flying places, you know, dating very rich old men, but actually like being into them, like being really interested. I wasn't having sex with people I didn't want to. I wasn't intermingling my energy in, in, in places and spaces that didn't feel good or weren't respectful. But it was it was more bent on me feeling safe and being in control and having things given to me and provided to me, which wasn't a direct response and not having that throughout my childhood. Oh, I just got once I realized that like, oh, I'm seeking all this comfort and all of this like proof that I'm going to be taken care of and safe because actually what's inside of me is really lacking that. And that's when I really had to have a full reversal and, and took a break for about a year and a half mm. from everything when it came to dating and sex and love. Wow. Wow. And on that journey, were, were, were you working with a coach, a healer? Like, was there a support system that, that helped you with that father wound and, and kind of pivoting? Yeah. You know, it was, it was all just, spirit within, you know, really going really deep at the time. I didn't really have the whereabouts or the money or the understanding to bring in someone that could help me with that particular thing. But that year I was, I was celibate for 
uh, 15 months. Yeah. Wow. And it was just a really, really, it was a like conscious, I'm going to be celibate and I'm going to go in and really look at myself and face some of these things, these fears. They went into deep meditation and deep yoga practice and, and my breath work and energy healing. And, and that's what really turned things around for me. And that was back in 2015. 14, I think 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. Wow. That's so beautiful. It's such a, I mean, I've been working on my father wound stuff and, and my dad was in my life, but very sporadically. Um, my, my choices were the opposite of yours, which is choose, choose men that are partners, women as well, that are like as far away from that dominant male energy as possible because I don't trust it. And in my healing journey in the last like um, about six years, it was when I stopped and I also was like, "Mm -mm, I can't run from this anymore. Um, And, um, and yeah, and finding that resourcing from within. I mean, I still I still at times feel myself wanting my partner to like, give me safety, give me protection. And I know that it's like, okay, well, where are we not giving that to ourselves here, sweetie? <laughs> and so, so the, the partner that you're with now, and, and, you know, if this is too intimate, you just tell me no comment, but, um, do, did you find yourself then attracting someone who, um, was like touched or, or exhibited different masculine traits than all the others. Absolutely. I mean, well, I, I didn't meet him until 2018 and, and I had to have another like revolution in my relationships before I could get to him. But I do, I do know that after I made that choice of like, wait, wait, I don't need to, to be so in control and so dominant and so like me, 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 I ended up having a really beautiful relationship for two and a half years with my ex-boyfriend, who's now one of my dearest friends. And we were together, we moved to LA together from New York um, and really had a beautiful, even breakup. I mean, it was just a really beautiful experience. And that was the first time where I had a relationship where I met someone who I was attracted to, who wasn't uh, someone that I felt like I had to guard against and be tough against. Really, really good guy, just a really good guy. And and so got to really enjoy that and and came out of that realizing that where I needed to really step in was finding this balance between being the powerful human being that I am, the powerful person that I am, with being the soft, loving, kind, balanced, humble person, to live both of those aspects of the human experience as one person. And that was really like the turning point for me, which came out of losing my first business, being betrayed by some of my closest uh, colleagues and, and, and friends, having a, 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 a quick uh, boyfriend turnaround that lasted about three months and being heartbroken very quickly. And like going through that in 2017 and like really being like, oh, it's the embodiment of all of these things and balance, being both powerful and strong, but soft and kind, humble, but like very clear on who I am that is actually being asked of me in every aspect of my life. And that was what 2017 was basically like, are you going to, are you going to do that? Are we going to keep playing this game? (laughs) And I'd like to think that I've come out saying, okay, we're going to take that and we'll we'll learn. And, and then sure enough in 2018 is where I met my boyfriend. And so immediately did you feel like, Oh, this feels different because I'm bringing something different. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And by the time I met him, I was absolutely certain I was ready for my life partner. I was clear that I didn't need that person. I was clear that I was ready and that it was going to be someone that was right for me. So 
it didn't matter who it was going to be. I just know it's the right one. And I was not looking. I was like, I'm, I'm ready. Where is he at? Cool. I'm doing my thing. And that's when, that's uh, when he came. Wow. <laughs> and when you met him, were there any parts of you that you kind of had to sort of reconcile with or, you know, reorganize or sort of so that you could fully allow him in? Absolutely. Oh my God. You're so good at this. <laughs> yeah. This is just, I'm like, this is also so much of what I'm passionate about. So yeah. 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 Well, it's funny. We met on Instagram and I had, I had a couple of very synchronistic things that like that month where he reached out to me on Instagram where I was having girlfriends call me and say, Hey, I had a dream about you and your future husband. I had a dream about you and your partner. And I'd be like, okay, this is like call number two and three. Okay. Interesting. And then sure enough, he reached out to me on Instagram. And when I saw his Instagram, I was like, uh, you're in a, like you're a musician. He's, he's an EDM electronic music. I was like, not interested. I don't want to date someone that's on tour. No, thank you. And I kind of pushed him off, pushed him off, not realizing that I was being the one that was like making assumptions when he's actually a really nice, good person. (laughs) And and then finally, slowly, he kind of came in and was like, hey, maybe we could meet up. We happened to meet in New York. And I remember it was like after one of his shows, he played the governor's ball. And I was backstage and I was like, God, I really hope that this guy is tall. That's how I was thinking. Alexander. Right, right. I was like, no, I, I know. I know. I've had this in the, it's so weird that that's where we go. But yeah. Right. Like, even though I'm ready for my life partner, I hope this guy is tall. Well, because you're tall and that would make such a huge difference. I'm 5'10", yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, he walked up and he was like, eye to eye. And I was like, all right, God. All right. This will be tall enough. If this is my person. I'm open to it. I'm open to it. <laughs> but it's so funny because he's got like, I think I you probably know him, by the way, which we'll talk about another time. Right, right. But I met him got, once. At, at, yes. Once. Yes. Right, it was a long time he, ago. But yeah. He's got um, a full arm tattoo mm-hmm. right bald head mm-hmm. like very like kind of rocker dude mm-hmm. not at all what I imagined myself you know my life partner and it, we always joke about this I'm like babe I never saw you but I but but when I felt his energy that very first time I was like oh shit this dude is like there's something energetically very strong and grounded and the number one thing I had on my list was kind and and that's what I felt and so it was really like putting away what I thought this person was going to look like he's going to be tall he's gonna I I didn't even really have like a physical I didn't have a physical list but just was so surprised that like oh wow you came in this package and I came in this package and look at us like and it's beautiful wow Wow. Wow. Beautiful. So then that was one thing you kind of put aside or reckoned with. Yeah. And it was funny because from day one, I was very attracted to him. I just was surprised, you know, especially like him being on tour was really, he was on tour. He was going to be gone for like two and a half months, that first like couple of months that we were dating. And I was surprisingly chill with being apart from him and him being on the road and us meeting in different cities and him having a life where there are lots of fans and girls backstage. I, I didn't think that that would be okay with me, but it actually ended up being totally cool and secure. And so I think it was things like that, these assumptions that I had about like what it had to be like for me to feel safe or what it had to be like for it to be the thing that I thought it would be. Yeah. Those things fell away quickly and I had Mm. to allow that. 
Wow, that's beautiful. And it also speaks to you. Like you, I mean, you, you're a public facing person. You're gorgeous. You're traveling. Like you're, you may be off teaching for a month and, you know, like all of that as well. And I, I feel like what we saw in movies or we saw our parents go through, and it sounds like you've gone, yours were divorced and mine too, and maybe multiple times, but there's still that notion of like, oh, it has to look a certain way. And I think, well, you're a super dynamic person. And so of course you would attract a super dynamic person. Thank you, Alexandra. Well, well, I mean, (laughs) I mean, yeah, you are. I mean, you are just even by trade, you know, like not by, not by opinion, but like you have a business, you're doing this. So it's like, it makes sense. I think as a lot of people run their own businesses, um, have online businesses that like people are less in that kind of old way of like, oh shit, like, you know, we have to like get a house, live in this place, do this thing. And it's like, of course, that's an aspect of being in relationship is like kind of nesting, but, um, you know, allowing, oh, you're going to go on a retreat for two weeks or, oh, you're going to go be with your friends or whatever. I feel like in the past, like a woman would be like, oh no, he's going to be gone or whatever. But it's like, no, we're actually doing that too. So totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, were there, and, and I won't keep prying on no, this part, but ask us any <laughs> were there any other kind of, you know, emotional pieces that came up in relation to, the, the space of your dad or, you know, not growing up with your dad or growing up with your stepdad. And were there any, any pieces that when you met him, your, your partner now that like kind of surprised you that arose to be dealt with? Yeah. Well, I, I think I didn't realize how in the past, how some of my relationships and the things that I thought were passionate and, and what like symbolized being in love, we're actually codependent. Uh-huh. Yeah. That couldn't continue in a secure, attached adult relationship. So, you know, I think for me, the biggest thing was like, I, I'm very much about verbal affirmations, right? And being told, like, I love you. I'm in this. Uh-huh. Like, I'm here. And my partner is very much about, I will show you. I will, I will, yeah. <laughs> We've got a long lunch to talk about. I know, I know, I know. We've got a lot more in common than we know. And so, like, you know, one of the biggest things for me was that I had a lot of relationships, especially when I was always in control and I was constantly putting myself in situations where there was never a doubt who had the upper hand. Now it's not about having an upper hand. So I found myself being like, not trying to get the upper hand, but like, are we good? just can you let me know again? Like we're, we're in love, right? We're, we're in this, right? Like, like, wait, I'm your person. Right. And, and it's really, it's been an interesting thing because of course there's always space to like learn and, and expand for him where it's like, oh yeah, I could, I could communicate this more, but there really got to be this breaking point for me where I realized that it was actually coming out of a place of neediness and fear. Yeah of just affirmation and confirmation that wasn't actually connected to him, but about filling up this idea that nobody's leaving. Oh, fuck. Right. Like just, just, (sighs) just like with your words, prove to me, show me again and again, you're not leaving. Right. When all the actions are 1000% there. 
And that's, that was a big turning point for me that I had to go. I went to my therapist about, you know, had some long talks with him about really like connected and, and came to some really clear realizations that it's really like, it's my fear and some of my own codependency that I had to heal. Yeah. That's huge. And I totally resonate with that. Cause I'm like, ah, just use words, just use words. Yes. And I'm like, well, that's my love language. So you either need to get on board or, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. It, I have some girlfriends that'll be like girlfriends being just sisters who are like, why don't you let me do that for you? You want me to tell you, oh my God, you're so fucking cool. You're amazing. You know, because like you're saying that idea of like control and sort of slightly having the upper hand in order to be safe. I think people do that unconsciously in relationship quite a bit. I'd also did that in my twenties and it didn't end well because like, you're never quite held. You can never quite fully let go because you know that you're in control, but then that's the safety thing. And so you don't really have to face that, that kind of energy of, well, I want someone who can hold me. And, and, um, and I, that means I have to trust that if they say they love me, they do. And if they're still standing in the room and they haven't left the room. Then they want to be with me. You know, and, but yeah, it's, it's hard. I definitely fight about this quite a bit. It's like inside. I'm like, <laughs> why don't you just tell me I'm fucking I'm like, hot? Love letters every day. Me too. Love letters every and day. I'm like, I'm like, in my twenties, I would just, people would be like, oh my God, your ass is so hot. Oh my God, you're so sexy. And not, you know, and, and write love letters and leave them on my pillow. And, and I'm like, yeah, but those relationships, like I lost interest, you know, because totally. I knew that I was sort of being glorified or, you know, totally. that I was the little princess or the goddess. And yes. um, yeah, it's funny to, to reckon with that part, you know, and to feel that. And I think that's also in society, we see so many movies where it's like, that those things are perpetuated. Like, oh, they, he needs to give you the gifts and the flowers and the necklace. And he needs to like just do these sweeping gestures. So, you know, you're loved, you know, a lot of that is codependent. It's actually, a lot of it is toxic. And that's what we grew up on. I was just telling that to my partner. I was like, we watched all these eighties and nineties movies where the the men, and not to make a sweeping stereo, you know, general generalization that I sort of am, but there were like these Hugh Grant type characters that were like, you know, really sort of like, you know, kind of like soft and expressive and funny and like Chandler and the guys on Friends, you know, they're all kind of like zany and like silly and like there wasn't anyone who was like a trustable man. Totally. You know, there was like You're this so right. avoidant, like Richard Gere and Pretty Woman, like super kind of. I'm not really available, but I'm yep. super sexy, you know, yep. or there were like all these kind of like foppish, goofy, you know, and, it, and it's interesting to think like what we were sort of intaking as what it looks like to be loved, especially if, if we didn't see it at home and in, in a, in a, you know, healthy way. Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I was just hearing somebody talk about this earlier today and that a lot of the movies that we watched in the 90s were very much about the girl being absolutely just like the priority for her is love. The priority for her is the guy. And then the guy like maybe she's the priority later down the line, but he's got like more of a thing going on that they're focusing on. There's a, like a second or third dialogue happening that we're, they're focusing on more. And it's just like, you know, 
I think the glorification of love for young girls and just like that, that's like such an important pivotal goal that we have to reach is such a interesting program that we were given so early on in our lives. And I I mean, look at, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I hope that the the kids nowadays are not getting it the same way. I do feel like in the eighties and nineties, like the Disney movies were intense. I talk about this in my book. And so were like the nineties rom-coms, which I still go back and rewatch because I, I still kind of, I still love them, <laughs> but they're fucked. Some of them I watch and I'm like, this is so fucked up. <laughs> I think, I think, um, oh, it, my friend Moon and I were watching my best friend's wedding last year and we were like, this is so fucked up the way these women are being portrayed and that sort of stereotypes of like Cameron Diaz's character are like this bimboy blonde and, you know. Anyway, there was a lot. There's a lot in those times. I'm curious, though, what movie you were talking about recently that you were saying that there was like um, that the the relationship was like the third order of business or whatever. Was there a particular one? I can't remember. It was a woman that I was I was um, watching, and she was talking about that. Okay. I, I wish I could remember her yeah, name. Because yeah. Giving her credit for this. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> her name will come to me at some point. But no, she, I I just no, realized that she was making a really good point that there's kind of there was a theme that the most important thing was for a girl to be liked and for to a girl to be attractive, and that that it wasn't so interesting about a guy needing to be attractive or a guy needing to be liked. It was like who does he choose? And, and, you know, and, and when he feels like getting to it, he will kind of thing. And I just uh, thought that was thing perspective, but I can't remember if there were any particular yeah. uh, movies. That I love about. studying movies and I love watching them and feeling into the dif- different feminine archetypes, different types of relationships. Um, it's definitely something that, that I've spent a lot of time looking at over the, you know, the course of, I also went to, you know, theater, acting, film school. And so combining that with healing and actually seeing where the myths and the stories that we learn how to be human from craft us and where, where we can actually like have such an activation in our psyche from you know, film story and myth, um, and where we can heal in that way. And I, I, I find a great deal of healing and, um, and, and activation in my own being by like seeking out films that actually touch parts of me that don't get touched often, you know, um, but it takes a lot of work. I mean, the, the easy to reach the low hanging fruit is, is, you know, is usually the less nuanced intermediate. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, what really was a big thing for me? She just came to mind. There's a woman that I, I, I grew up all over the country. I moved a lot as a kid. And by the time I turned 14, I moved to Houston, Texas and went to high school for four years there. And that was the longest I ever lived anywhere mm. growing up. Well, And um, around 16, 17, I started going to the clubs, mm-hmm. like the real clubs mm-hmm. in Houston wow. where it was a little – it was a little wild. And I, but I was, I was very, very, uh, like well-behaved. I was just out doing my, I remember I met this amazing woman. Her name is candy girl and she's in Houston and she was an older, beautiful Chinese woman, Chinese American woman. And she kind of took me under her wing and had me be one of her like flyer girls. This is like, yeah, it's so funny because I don't think that happens anymore. And like so I would companies up. that like, that was what promoters did. Exactly. And I was one of the, like the promoter girls. Yeah. And so she'd give me like a stack 
And I'd go past them out the malls. And then eventually she'd say, you know, you can just come to the club with me. Just come. And I remember, you know, we, I was, I think by this time I was about 17, but in a club where you were supposed to be 21. And she kept me by her the entire night. Whenever I'd come and work, she'd always pay me great. She never, never treated me badly. She never put me into positions that were not okay. And in fact, she was the first person who taught me how to respect myself around men. And she would tell me, you know, in, in Houston, there's a lot of professional athletes, a lot of rappers. It's a very crazy, like urban night scene. And I remember her telling me when I would meet some of these like all-star basketball players, she'd be like, you know, you can flirt with them. You can have fun. But remember, never met, let these men disrespect you. Never. And never give it up unless you actually really want to. And make sure you do wisely. She would tell me things like this every weekend for like a year. And it really, that for me, I, I like, I have to thank her. One of these days I need to actually reach out to her because she made that possible for me moving forward and not the TV, not the movies. <laughs> Hello, quick interlude here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, I'd love for you to check out my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, my guide to healing yourself, reclaiming your voice, and standing in your power. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut. It was one of Bustle's best summer reads and a bestseller in three categories on Amazon. These are my methods that I'm teaching to inspire you, challenge you, bring up your resistance so you can face it and get free and unleash your gifts. How to let life make love to you, enjoy every bit, and find the magic in all of it guide. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and Sounds True, or by visiting alexandraroxo.com slash book. Thank you so much. It means the world to me to have your support for my work. Back to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And that's just such the importance of, of female mentorship. And there's something that our mothers actually can't give us in that regard. I think that the, the bond between mother-daughter is so specific that we need an outside person who actually can see and can, can notice like sex, alcohol, drugs, like these are part of your reality as a teenager growing up. Like, let me get real with you. Whereas like mom is too, it's too, you know, too tender a territory to traverse, but with, but with a, another female mentor, it's like, okay, there's a safe space. And, and I love that. I said to one of my best friends, I said about her son, I was like, I want to be the auntie that he calls to talk to about all the tough stuff. Cause like, he's not going to want to talk to you guys about it, but like, I'm determined to be that auntie for him. Like his cool auntie. <laughs> oh, I can be the best cool auntie ever. <laughs> so lucky. Well, I want to just transition to here now that we've gotten so deep and juicy and like, I love this conversation so much and I hope that everyone listening does too. Um, I'd love to hear a moment of some sort of a, a moment where the mystical, the divine touched your life. And, and maybe it is in the realm of, of, um, of love. And since we've kind of been in that space, like maybe there is something about being a woman, about your journey of being a woman, of opening your heart. Um, but if it's also something that's kind of in a whole nother arena, I welcome that too. Thank you. Well, a couple of things come up and I think, um, 
the first one is is related to me moving to New York as a young woman coming out of the Houston world where I was having a blast and wanted to be a model and was going to college and really like realizing like I got to get out of here, even though it's really sweet for me at 17, 18 years old, you know, and um, having this spiritual experience where um, literally God just spoke to me when I visited New York for the very, very first time I visited New York because some random guy that I met in Houston told me, if you want to be a real model, then you got to model in New York. And if you're not in New York, then it doesn't count. And I remember I flew out to New York for spring break and I was like, God, I really want to see if this is the right place for me. And I'll never forget. I was sitting on the floor listening to the radio and it just like hit me. I had this like huge download where I was like, oh my God, I'm home. Like New York is my home. And I just cried and cried and cried because I'm also, I'm a kid who, you know, I was a kid who moved every year, every two years, you know, max for most of my childhood. So to feel that deep feeling of home and feeling like, like I had just downloaded that understanding of you finally got to come home. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And what happened after that was very synchronistic. I had so many amazing things that week of just meeting incredible men, incredible women who are really supportive, really kind, really actually guiding me in dark spaces, but with love. Mm -hmm. Like, so I was like, you know, I was in the nightlife world. I was in fashion. Yeah. I was in entertainment. So these are mostly, especially back then, dark spaces. <laughs> and I was being guided by people who like would shine a light on the corners that I needed to see things and would never pressure me to do things. And I met an amazing man who I'm still friends with to this day, who from literally the first week I ever visited to now, like always made sure I was good and knew what was happening wherever we went. And, and so, you know, I think for me, what, what New York ended up being in so many ways was like the place for me to become a woman and to become a woman safely in a place that's really not safe for a lot of people. Yeah. So I could actually see the realness of, of the world, see things that are really hard to witness and balance that with also having the wherewithal and the survival tools and like the spiritual guidance to kind of navigate all of that in a way that came out. I came out with really very few scratches out mm -hmm. of New York with my soul intact and glowing. And so I have a lot of, a lot of appreciation for New York, but I also have a lot of appreciation that, you know, my belief system didn't invalidate my connection to God and spirit, even though I was partying, even though I was drinking and out in the, in the clubs at night, there was still this belief that I could be in union with God if I could still hear him, you yeah. know? Wow. That's beautiful. I mean, People were dancing uh, and celebrating God, you know, for thousands of years, like in in a party atmosphere. I think, in the, you know, Protestant religion, and which is like a little bit more um, recent, that was like you're not allowed to celebrate in a certain That's so way. That's so true. <laughs> Whereas, like, I mean, there's all these recent studies. I don't know if you've heard of this book, The Immortality Key, but that like Jesus was like the wine shaman, like having yes. wine ceremony. I love that book. Yeah. Oh my like gosh. The, what a you know, book. the temples were the original bars. Of course, that does not mean everybody just go out and get unconsciously wasted. It's a very different kind of a thing. But, but I think that this kind of puritanism that has interwoven its way into wellness and spirituality is it's like, it's yet another kind of extreme mask that is a, a separation. And unfortunately it's like, it makes such a, 
a contrast of like separation between celebration and a lifestyle that's not just geared towards work, right? Where it's like, if you take a bunch of people in the US who are like, okay, now I'm sober and I just work all day and like biohack my way. It's like, where are you like celebrating the life and the life force and the beauty, magic and the chaos? And, you know, I always look back to like those, um, you know, in National Geographic, they had a thing called the, the was it the blue zones? Yeah, I think it's the blue Yes, yeah. yes. And like yeah. that they're like, all, most of them all drink wine, eat fish, rest, yeah. sleep. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think they even asked them how often they made love. I can't remember. But that... um that 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 those people were living the longest and i think that the correlation is that they are celebrating life and enjoying life in a conscious like restful way not conscious like oh let me be conscious of how many calories i'm eating or how many ketos or whatever <laughs> that yes. like conscious in yes. terms of like you know conscious in terms of like oh wow what a gorgeous day i'm going to go lay in the sun <laughs> totally exactly I totally agree. And you're, and you're right. Especially the blue zones. It's really interesting how wine and bread and, (laughs) and like what would be perceived as like gluttonous luxury (laughs) is, uh, is actually, uh, usually what's being eaten. (laughs) I know. I know. And it just speaks to like the extremism that, and also that's inherent, I think in, in modern Western society and the United States and like the way this country has been built on work and capitalism and productivity and that, that even seeps into our spiritual lives, you know, that our spiritual lives become around productive and like checking off boxes of like how we can be better versus how we can be more alive, awake, present, responsive to life, invested, like in awe and wonder, you know? I love that. I love that. And actually something that you said a few times that really stands out to me is more alive. I think that's something that I've been really personally looking at and feeling into aliveness. This like this feeling of like vital alive energy and expression is really something that is like a a specific quality that I've been looking at lately. I write about that a lot and I've written a lot of poetry and kind of, I think in this last year, as we've all been challenged as to like when we feel most kind of like numb, asleep, dull, right? Like I've been like tracking my aliveness really um, closely. Like where is it? What is it? And how does it change, right? It's also not something, in my opinion, that you biohack your way towards. It's not like, okay, this is how I do it. People always want that. Even clients, they're like, how do I do it? How do I lock it in? And I'm like, it's mm-hmm. not, that's not how life operates. It's like, that would be so boring, right? If you're like, okay, this is how I'm alive. Every morning I do A, B, C, D, and then I'm alive. And it's like, no, your heart is like, oh, I'm drawn towards watching this Italian opera on YouTube today. And oh my God, I feel so much more alive watching Maria Callas's face because she is like channeling this crazy epic art of God, you know? And it's like, oh, my aliveness today is talking to this person at the grocery store, even with a fucking mask on, but we're laughing and like talking about this or whatever. And it's like, that is living in the present. And I think that's the thing that is this, the, like the strangest about our time is that like we're living on our phones, we're living in the future, emailing, planning, scheduling. It's like, yes, it's so true. It's true. We have so many more distractions 
that literally doing anything with presence is what actually is where aliveness flows from. Yeah. That's something I teach about a lot in, in the work that I do. It's the aim is actually deep presence. And then I find from deep presence, then it's the healing is just so much more accessible. The flow, the aliveness, the joy, the love. And, and we find that even that, that sadness or that pain is all more palatable. And that is a part of what aliveness is. You can feel all of those expressions of life. Yes. Yeah. And you feel the suffering of the world. Yeah. And it's like the more that we turn towards life, we have to turn towards all of it. And historically, people haven't done that. It's like on a whole, you don't go, wow, there's people right now in different areas of the world experiencing this suffering or this suffering. And even in my country, this type of suffering is happening and this type of suffering, you know, to be able to breathe that through you and still, and not be crippled by it, right? And not take it on in a codependent way of like, I must fix it all, which I've totally lived like that in many. <laughs> I feel like you have to go through the wounded healer phase at one point. Oh, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> um, but to be able to like, like lovingly turn towards the fact that this world is full of suffering. Like every day I get texts from someone, someone is sick, someone got cancer, someone, I mean, it's like, this is a constant in this reality of this realm, you know? And the constant is also babies are being born. People are falling in love. Trees are still sprouting little buds with flowers. So it's like, you know, I think that's part of, of, of being, coming into embodied living, coming into being in the healing space is like having the courage to, to feel it all and to turn towards it. Yeah. So what's on the docket for you in terms of like what you're up to now, what you're pouring your heart into and what's striking your passion, your aliveness right now? I love how you asked that. (laughs) I think I feel that one of the biggest honors of my life, or at least at this phase in my life has been to teach my approach to healing through breath work and energy healing. And it's, we just, this past weekend, I just finished my third cohort and our first online version of it. And so we started in uh, January of 2020 with the first in person right before the pandemic. And then we did one more that was uh, much smaller in person and, um, and then live stream, but this one was just all online. And it's just been probably one of the most amazing experiences to sit with people who are courageous enough, bold enough, humble enough to see the bigness, the, the, the gifts, the power that lives within them, that they, that they have a gift as a healer just naturally. And that all they need to do is just have the presence and the peace to just be with that and explore that. So that's really been the work that I've been up to most. We're going to be doing another one in, um, in LA and another one in New York and, uh, end of June and then New York in September. And it's just been every time I finish, I'm like, okay, that like, I've done my job. Yeah. <laughs> my God, yeah. like, this is like peak experience. Thank you. Yes. Um, and not that I'm doing my job, like, yay, learn this. It's more like, my greatest wish has been to be in deep community and to really find that we all have this innate gift to be a healer in whatever unique 
in specific special way, we are all here to express it and to help be like a guide and a co-pilot and a co-creator in that experience with people has been one of the greatest honors of my life. Oh. Really. Wow. So that's, that's been, yeah. that's been the biggest thing lately outside of my personal life, which has really been, you know, with my partner and I, we're coming into our third year um, this June and, you know, living in this house for two years now in LA and coming to a place where we both really hit our stride in our work and in our personal lives and just really coming to a place now where personally and professionally I'm experiencing what it's like to to thrive mm. and let thriving feel safe and for it to to not need to 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 uh be on the radar for what might go wrong but to actually just like live and express that full state of all is well yeah that's that's kind of where I'm at that's so beautiful it's so beautiful and like you can feel that I can feel that like right now and it's it's kind of like I think when we're younger we are we feel hungry we're more hungry we're like okay what's next how do I you know how do I get bigger better do it right uh become more famous, make more money. Like there's like this element of us that's kind of like running on a treadmill. And then like, it starts to be in that resting place. And some of that is through the blessing of thriving, like you said, and through just trusting, trusting, you know? Um, and so for your upcoming healer trainings in New York and LA, can anybody sign up for that? Like, what's that? Like somebody who's called and then they, they would fly there and, and, yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. So we we do have an application, just so we can really feel and it's the right fit for both of us. Um, and then we have two different versions. So you can do the in person with us in LA or in New York, or you can do the live stream version, which is what some people are going to be doing as well. So last time we did this in July, we had people from all over Europe who joined us. And this last online version, we had people in Australia and Asia. So there's definitely going to still be that online component because I want to make sure that we can still reach as many people as possible. Oh, cool. But I'm really excited about being able to do this in person safely finally. Yes. I'm really looking forward to that. Yes. And then do people leave that weekend with some sort of like a certificate or is it more of just like in the heart that they've kind of mm. shifted? Two parts. I think the biggest thing that I always tell people is that the first thing that's going to happen that might surprise someone is that there's going to be an immense amount of healing for themselves ways that they probably did not imagine. And so it's really firstly about healing yourself through this approach. And then there's a lot of talks around the chakras, the basics of, of energy healing and kind of how to facilitate. And then there's this opportunity and an invitation to practice what we've done together for those four days through a 200 hour practice of your own that you kind of have an honor system with. And then once you do 200 hours, you get an, uh, 200 hour completion certificate. Oh, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That sounds epic. And there've been a bunch of people that asked me because last year I did a training for, um, a group of women who were, uh, with me for a year and we did our first in-person in January last year in LA and it was so delicious. And then we had to do the rest online and my heart was just sort of broken. Um, because I loved being in the room with everybody. 
Um, but we did a similar kind of a model. I had, they were with me for a whole year and then we had three kind of deep dive weekends and then they had to do practice hours. And so many of them are now leading. Um, and the method is like that, that I taught is embodiment through breath, sound movement and, and the feminine mystical path too. That's like a part of it. So if you wanted to be an initiation that I did last year, maybe Moana's program is good for you because I don't have one scheduled right now because I'm also just like, um, you know, kind of percolating post that experience. Yes. Because it yes. is quite big. And when, when I led those women last year, the first part of it, I was like, the first half this year is going to be you just learning to bring awareness to your own blind spots. Because when you show yeah. up for a coach as a coach or a healer to other people, one thing that you're learning how to do is delicately, kindly, gently, but also directly bring awareness to other people's blind spots and yes. to know, to have the discernment to see what the best way in medicine is to reveal or to point out that blind spot, like in an instant, you have to have this discernment with people. It's a very, um, very tender process. And um, so I I knew that like, I was like, wow, being a leader and I admire you for being in this position as well. When you're in the position that you are the revealer Mm. of other people's blind spots or wounds or, um, whatever you want to call them, it is a very, um, it's a, it's a big responsibility. And it also is, is just really tender, especially woman to woman, I think being leading, you know, others. And I think you, you become the mother, you become the, you know, the lover, you become the third, you just become the person that everything is projected onto. And I definitely, I was like, that's intense. Yes. Yes. And I, I don't think people realize how, how vulnerable it is to be that person. Oh my God. Tell you become that yourself. Yeah. You know, how, how much of, you know, in the revealing, we are also revealing ourselves and how much courage it takes for a teacher, a healer, a facilitator to do that. <laughs> it's not, you know, no, that's it's not thing. just glorified. Like I've got no. it all together. <laughs> you know, it's very, it's, it's very self-revealing to be the one who's the way shower and the the co-pilot and the facilitator. It's very much a vulnerable place to be, even when you're in your power. And that's also a part of what makes it powerful is that it's also so vulnerable and transparent if, and I'm in the way that we work. And so, yeah, I just, I, I, I have a newfound respect for teachers, especially for my teachers. Now I'm like, wow, I have such a, such a like deep appreciation in my heart for my teachers because I'm like, wow, I didn't realize what it was like until I started to put myself in this position. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Me too. Me too. And, and I've had some of the women from my program last year, like some of them are leading, uh, like pop-up, uh, community practices for my online membership. And I've had some of them be like, whoa, this is intense. And when we did the kind of certification, they did sessions and then I watched them and reviewed them, which was like terrifying for everyone involved. I was like, like, first, I want to tell you a great job. And then then I'm like, why is there laundry in the background on the floor? You know, so it's like, I'm like the mom. And then I'm also like the, you know, like kind of like whipping them in shape. But this is such an intense position to be in. And I definitely took, took a lot of strength and also so watching these women 
um, do their work and create healing spaces for others right now after doing that program has been, I mean, I just like try to keep, keep up with them online here and there. And I'm like, Oh my God, look, she's doing this. Oh my God, she's doing this. And I like, I'm like, I wish they would all message me as if I was like, you know, their den mom, but they're like off doing their thing. I'm like, Oh, okay, bye. (laughs) But it's epic. And it's, it's, um, it's so incredible to be empowered to step into that position if your heart is called, you know, to do that. So cool you're doing that. We'll include links to that um, in all of our show notes and everything. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I mean. Oh, it went by so fast. Oh, my gosh. So good. <laughs> so, so Thank good. Thank you so much. And thanks for, you know, sharing so intimately and and uh, revealing so much. It's a gift to everyone who listens, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you lead by example. It's easy to do it in your presence. (laughs) Some days, some days, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. We're so happy to have Milana. Go follow her, check out her work, um, (laughs) you know, and uh, thank you so much for being here and we will uh, see you again very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.